Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our year-long study into revival by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 2. We're in the midst of our series, Kingdom Living in a in a fallen world. Kingdom living in a fallen world. We've talked about the fact that this old world created by God originally perfect, but then sin entered into the world and the old Satan took over the dominion of the world and it's become a fallen world. It's full of wickedness and ungodliness. But God didn't give up on the world. God decided he was going to intervene in the world and invade the world with the kingdom of heaven. For in the kingdom of heaven, all things are perfect, and God sits on his throne, and he is totally and absolutely in charge. And God didn't give up on us, amen? You ought to be thankful for that. He could have wiped us out, wrote us off, and it'd be done. And he had been totally righteous in what he did. But he didn't give up on us. He loved us enough and cared for us enough that he was going to invade this world back with the kingdom of heaven, which is where he rules and reigns, and he was going to make a difference in this world. We saw last week that the ultimate and final word, John said in John 1, that God would give to this world regarding his invasion of the kingdom of heaven was Jesus Christ. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that was the beginning of the final ultimate word of God to this world, that God loved this world, that God redeemed this world, and he began to reveal what the kingdom of heaven is like in 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 the life of Jesus. We saw last week that it says, as he summarizes, John, he begins that that book of the gospel. He summarizes it and says, and we beheld his glory. He dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, glory of the only begotten of the Father. He's summarizing what they had the opportunity of doing, of beholding the glory. And then he goes on and tells the initial things of what happens when he gets baptized and and John, what John said as far as the testimony. And, and then we finally saw where Philip goes and tells his brother Nathaniel, remember? He tells Nathaniel that we found the Christ. He's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel said, what good thing could come out of Nazareth? And finally Jesus comes and says, while you were under the fig tree, I, I saw you. And, and he, he said, there's no way you could see me under the fig tree. How'd you, how could you do that except that you be Christ and you be the, the Messiah? And so he recognized him as Messiah. And Jesus says, well... Because I said I saw you on the fig tree, you're amazed by that. But remember, he says, you're going to see the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And in and, and southern uh, lingo, it's basically, Nathaniel, you ain't seen nothing yet. Amen? You ain't seen nothing yet. You're about to see what the, what the glory of God is. You're about to see heaven revealed to you. And, and I'm here to, to make known what the kingdom of heaven is like. And what God is like. And that journey begins. And that brings us to John chapter 2. John chapter 2 begins with the miracle that happens at Cana. Remember that first miracle of Jesus. They went to the wedding. He and his mother went to the wedding. When they got there, the wine ran out. And his mother basically comes to him and says, They got a problem, Jesus. And you need to take care of it. And he tells her, says, it's not, it's not yet my time. And then she didn't pay attention to what he said. She just looked at the servants and she said, whatever he says to you, you do it. It tells they get the stone water pots and he brings them, they bring them to Jesus. They're filled with water. And Jesus miraculously changes them from water into wine. 
a miracle takes place. And this is how it summarizes that in verse 11. I want you to see there in chapter 2, verse 11. It says, This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. And underline this phrase right here. And manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So you've got to get the picture, and I want you to read through the Gospels again with, with this thought in mind. How did Jesus, and what was Jesus doing when he walked here on this earth? Well, one thing Jesus is doing is he is manifesting the kingdom of heaven. What does the word manifest mean? The word manifest means to, to show plainly, all right? To show something, something plainly so anybody can understand it. It, it means to reveal It means to make known. So Jesus is on a journey, and his journey is this. He is wanting to manifest what the kingdom of heaven is like. He he wants the people of this world who have no idea what happens in heaven and the power of heaven and the glory of heaven and all that's taking place in heaven and what God's like in heaven, they don't have any idea what that's like. And he has come to reveal to manifest, to make known plainly what the kingdom of heaven is all about. And the first thing it says he does, the very first thing he does in his ministry is he begins to do that work. The very first thing it says, and he makes manifest his glory. He makes manifest his glory. The glory of God. The revealed presence of God, the revealed power and otherworldness of God, the glory of God. Do you know what is in heaven? Heaven is filled with the glory of God. <laughs> I mean, God is just there, and it's a different experience. It's, it's a different understanding. When we get to heaven, things are going to be totally different than what we have ever imagined before because that's what heaven's about Because the glory of God is there in full measure. So if Jesus is going to come and he's going to explain the kingdom of heaven to us, he's going to have to, first of all, manifest the glory of God. And how does he manifest the glory of God in this world? It tells you right there. Through his signs are wonders, are miracles. (laughs) The reason that Jesus performed miracles was to reveal the glory of God. To reveal what God was like and what God could do that no one else could do. See, miracles are birthed in and are brought about from heaven. I I love that song, the next to last night, Rattling Bones. I I told Lynn, I said, well, that's a perfect song for this message. Because it talked about that I believe miracles still happen and miracles are taking place. And miracles, we need miracles now. Miracles do take place, and miracles happen, but they happen because that's the power of God and the glory of God from the heavenly realm invading this worldly realm. Anytime a miracle takes place, my friend, it's heaven coming to earth. You got that? It's heaven coming to earth. Now, why would I say that? Well, whenever God built this world and made this world... He puts certain laws in in place. And and, and this world functions by those laws. The law of gravity. If you go up on this building, jump off, you're going to hit the floor, right? 
There's, there's all kinds of laws that are out there. He, he gives up. You, you all had to learn the, the uh, table, the element chart table, didn't you? All those different elements. And he, and he puts all these things again, and we have all these things together, and they don't cross over. They don't cross over. They're the same. God set all these things in motion in the world. They're called the laws of nature, the laws of this world. And this world functions by those laws. But God doesn't have to function by those laws. (laughs) See, God created this world. And God is above this world. And God is greater than this world. And God can do anything he wants to. He never has to follow what these laws of the world say. He doesn't have to do that. He, He simply can speak it and it becomes a reality. He simply can decide it and it's changed. For instance, in this very first miracle, when he turns water to wine... Water and wine are made up of totally different chemical makeups, right? And you can't take water. You cannot take water and do anything you want to with water and ever make it wine. You can't. You can freeze it. It's not going to be wine. You can boil it. It's not going to be wine. You can steam it. It's not going to be wine. You can do anything you want to with it. It is never going to be wine because the chemical makeup it is different. Wine comes from grapes. Now, certainly, God set forth that nature where those Grape vines draw the water from the ground, and when it draws the water from the ground, some miracle takes place, and it forms into a grape, and eventually that grape becomes wine. But never does water become wine. It's impossible for the world. But what did Jesus do? All Jesus had to do is speak a word. All Jesus had to do is decide what he wanted to do. And he was able to transform water in a stone water pot into wine. Why is that? Because he has the power. He has the ability to do miracles. He can do all those things. And why is it done? For the glory of God. For people to be able to say, man, for this man to do that, he has some power other than any power we've ever known. He he has something about him that nobody had ever been able to do because he can do miracles. And miracles are how, listen, miracles are how the glory of God is revealed. So when Jesus goes out and he has a blind man and he calls upon him and he has sight, that's the glory of God. Whenever he sees the lame man and he tells him, pick up your bed and walk, and he walks away carrying his cot, that's the glory of God. You understand that? Whenever there's a dead man named Lazarus, been dead for four days, but he calls his name and he comes forth from the grave and he's alive and they take off those grave clothes and he is alive, that's because it's the glory of God. And Jesus walked here and it's recorded in the gospel time and time again how he performs the miracles and those miracles are only to reveal the glory of God. How wonderful, how glorious God is. How holy he is and beyond us. And the realm of heaven, miracles are their birth and we experience them here in this world. That's the glory of God. And Jesus came to introduce that to the world. He he came to invite you and invite me to have a relationship with a God. In the realm of heaven where miracles take place. 
Well, there's some people who say, ah, miracles don't happen anymore. Miracles, that was the dispensation whenever Jesus and the apostles were there. And, and it took place then. But after that period of time, miracles don't happen anymore. Let me tell you, as long as there's heaven... As long as there's the realm of heaven, as long as there's the kingdom of heaven, as long as God Almighty is existing, as long as Jesus is still Lord, miracles can take place. Amen? They can take place. And and miracles happen all the time in our world. They take place in our world. Why? Because God chooses to reveal his glory at that time. And he wants us to understand that he's still the God of glory. And he still does those miracles. Well, what are miracles? Let let me give you a definition for miracles. Write this down. If you're taking notes, write this down. Miracles are a supernatural intervention, a supernatural intervention into a natural situation. Think about that. It's a supernatural intervention into a natural situation that brings about a supernatural result So that God gets the glory. You got that? Let me say it again. It is a supernatural intervention. God intervenes into a natural situation. In order to bring about a supernatural result in such a way that God gets the glory. What's the purpose of the miracle? For God to get the glory, not for a miracle worker to get the glory, not for anybody to get the glory, not for the church to get the glory. It's only one reason for a miracle to happen, and that's for God to get the glory. And for God to do what only God can do, so he gets the glory. If God brings about a miracle in our lives and we don't give him the glory, we've missed the very purpose of why a miracle happens because a miracle happens for his glory. It always happens for his glory. That's what it says in John 2. It happened to manifest the glory of God. Supernatural innovation, natural situation. The natural situation in this story is they needed some wine. And didn't have any. And Jesus intervenes and makes water into wine to bring about a supernatural result. Most people didn't know anything happened about it. Those servants knew something happened about it. They knew some miracle took place. They knew something took place in regard to that. A supernatural result that God would get the glory. It's recorded in the Word right here. So that all throughout the ages, Jesus and God have got the glory for the miracle that happened. A man is lame. Supernatural intervention, God intervenes and the lame man walks. For what? For God's glory. For God's glory. Miracles still take place. You know, this passage, though, gives us a little bit of direction. I don't know if you have ever noticed this, but this passage gives us a little bit of direction about how to get miracles happening in your life. Do you, do you need a miracle in your life? You know, I, I tell people all the time, there's nothing in your life that you face that a miracle wouldn't take care of. Isn't that true? Think about it. I mean, if it's a physical problem, miracle take place of that. Relationship problem, miracle take place, take place of that. If financial needs, miracles can solve that. There's not one thing in your life that a miracle wouldn't take care of. So are you praying for a miracle? 
Are you praying for a supernatural intervention of God into your natural situation to bring about a supernatural result that God would get the glory? Do you pray for miracles? You ought to. For as long as God is still on the throne, miracles are still possible. As long as God is full of glory, miracles are still happening. Do you need a miracle? Well, you, you, just, you just need to trust God. So here is the little suggestion that Mary gives if you want to be in a place to experience the glory of God. What happened? Well, you remember he said, woman, it's not my time. It's not for me to do that. And then she says in verse 5, listen to what it says in verse 5. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Underline that, put a star by that, and understand that that is a, not a suggestion, but it is a formula whereby you can be in place to receive a miracle. And what did Mary say? Whatever he says to you, do it. Do you, you want to be in a place for a miracle to happen? Then you're going to have to be obedient to God. And whatever, whatever God's telling you to do, whatever he wants you to do, you just do it. You don't try to explain it. You don't try to, to argue about it. You don't try to discuss it. Well, you just, whatever he tells you to do, do it. But it doesn't make sense. Whatever he, he's telling me to do over here doesn't have anything to do with the miracle that I want. It doesn't matter whether it makes sense to you or not. Whatever he tells you to do, just do it. And when you're in a place of obedience and you're doing what God tells you to do, you're in a place whereby God can do miracles in your life. We get to heaven one day, we're going to find out we missed out on a lot of miracles that God wanted to do because we were too stubborn to do it. <laughs> or we, we were trying to figure it out to do it instead of us just being obedient to do it. And God had it waiting for us, but he couldn't bless us because we would not do it. And I'm here to tell you, if you are needing a miracle in your life, one of the things you need to do is lay out before Almighty God. You say before God, God, is there anything that you've told me to do? Anything that I need to be doing in my life? Anything, Lord, out here that I've resisted you in? Just show me, Lord, what it is and where it is, and I will do it. I will do it. And as you do what God will tell you to do, now you get into a place in your life to where you can see miracles happen. Now, does that mean a miracle is always going to take place in your life? No. That doesn't mean that. God in his sovereignty has a plan far beyond what we can imagine. There's some people who, who are obedient who do not get healed. Do you understand that? There's some people that, because God has a greater plan. But here's the reality. If you need a miracle and you desire a miracle and you want a miracle and it's in God's grace to give you that miracle, then you need to be obedient to Almighty God. Too many of us are disobedient, still wanting God to bless us. Well, you don't do that to your children, I hope. <laughs> I hope you're not out there blessing your children and, and praising your children in the time of disobedience of their life. Yeah, I hope you're not doing that. I hope you're resisting your children in times of disobedience and blessing them in times of obedience. Amen? And you don't even do that with your children. You expect God to pour out those blessings whenever you won't do what he says. Do what he says. Whatever he says to you, do it. And the miracles of God can happen. The miracles of God, and it's for his glory. If you'll think about it, friend, I'm here to tell you, all of us have experienced miracles in our lives. And we've had God to show up at times and, 
and to provide things that we didn't know where it was coming from and to bless us in ways and to keep things from not happening. We were afraid we're going to happen and protecting us. and so Miracles all the time that we don't even recognize because God's working in our life. Jesus came to reveal the glory of God, and he does that through miracles and the signs that he performs. So one of the first things he wants to do is he wants to make known very plainly, very clearly, there's the glory of heaven. There's the miracle-working power of heaven. That in heaven there's a heavenly Father who can do all things and not limited by the laws of nature. There's the God who's the creator, the sustainer, and everything. He is there, and heaven is a totally different place than this world. Than this world. Well, the second thing he reveals and manifests to us is he manifests about his passion. Do you know what passion is? You know, you know what having passion is? This means yes. Y'all know what that means? Passion is what you live for. Passion is, is the most important thing to you. It's, it's what you were made for. Passion is what you think about when you don't have anything else to think about, what you get your greatest joy in doing. Passion is something that drives us in our lives. And do you know that it tells us that Jesus had passion? You know, he, he, he reveals, remember Jesus is the word. He's revealing what God, what heaven, the kingdom of heaven is like. You know what he's telling us? Jesus said, I have a passion, and that passion is the same passion that's going on in heaven. Do you know what the passion of heaven is? You know what the passion of heaven is? What, what moves heaven? It tells you right here, chapter 2. What happens in verse 13? And the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen, sheep, and doves, and money changers seated. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them out, all of them out of the temple. And the sheep and the oxen, he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a house of merchandise. Listen to what it says, verse 17. His disciples remembered that it was written. Here it is. Zeal for thy house will consume me. Do you know what another word for zeal is? Passion. (laughs) He says what? The zeal for thy house will consume me. Do you know what the zeal of Jesus, you know what it reveals about the zeal and, and passion of Jesus? The zeal and passion of Jesus is for God, his Father, to be worshipped. He, he, he wants him to be worshipped. He, he, he wants that worship to be the priority of life. He, he wants the priority of life to be that you would worship his Father and also that in that priority of worshiping that you will do it in purity. His passion is the priority and purity of the worship of his God, of his Father. That's what it's all about. And, and, and when Jesus comes in to the temple... 
Remember, in the Old Testament, the temple was the place of worship. That's where God said that he would meet with his people. That's where in the Holy of Holies, there was the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. That's where God dwelt. And in that time and place, when the Jews were going to worship and truly worship, they came to the temple. They came to the temple to offer sacrifice, to be made clean, to give their offerings before Almighty God, it was the central place. And if you're going to focus on worship in the Old Testament, you got to focus on the temple. And how people respond to that temple is how they respond to God. So when Jesus walks into there, to, to the temple, and he is there for the Passover, he is utterly amazed at what has happened in the temple. Instead of it being a place where the priority is the worship of God, instead of it being a place where the purity of worship is evident as God had laid out in his law, Jesus found that the marketplace had moved into the temple. The marketplace is one thing where you're trading, where you're doing, where you're working, where you're buying, where you're selling. That's the marketplace is one thing, but the temple is another place. The marketplace is worldly, but the temple was to be holy. And when he walks in the temple, he finds that the marketplace has invaded the temple. It's so horrifying to him that he cannot contain himself. Now, now hold on a second. Listen to me just a minute. I want want to help you with your image about Jesus. Almost all of us with our image about Jesus, we've seen movies And he's always in a white robe. I haven't figured out how he keeps that robe so white. That must be another miracle. (laughs) There on those dusty. He's in a white robe and he's always real calm and loving and forgiving everything. All of those images are true. But hold on a second. If you think that that is all there was to Jesus, you're missing the point. You know what Jesus' profession was for 30 years? He was a carpenter. You know what? Carpenters work with wood, but they also work with stone. Do you know that carpenters of that day, they were much men. They didn't have all the mechanical stuff we've got now to pick up and move things around. You know how they moved it? With their arms. And whenever he spent 30 years in a carpenter shop and he had worked with his father, he was much a man. You know how much a man he was? Isn't it interesting that when he picked up the scourge to run him out, there wasn't a whole lot of who resisted him. Were they? You say, well, some came from the backside to get him. No, they were, they were doing what? They were leaving the premises. Because he was much a man. Much a man filled with passion about what he's doing because of the sin of those people. And I want you to understand, he was upset. He wasn't upset about what anybody had done to him. He was upset because they had lost the worship of God. They had lost the purpose of the worship of God. See, worship is all about Him. It's all about Him. Today, my friend, worship is all about Him. You you don't come here to see what it does for you. That's just for you. You just that's just an extra blessing. 
You come here for him. We gather for him. It's all about him. He is worthy. And when Jesus saw that they had lost that, they'd become so mechanical. You know how to become mechanical? Because the law laid out for them exactly what they were supposed to do. According to how much money they had, there was a sacrifice that had to be offered for their family. It could be an ox or it could be sheep if they were wealthy. But if they were poor, a dove or a pigeon could be offered. But he laid out exactly how it's supposed to be. Now, now what was desired to happen in regard to that was that a person would raise that animal that they would have. And they would bring that animal with them in their journey to the temple. And they would go through the inconvenience of having to herd that animal all the way there. And that animal would be their sacrifice. You get the picture? Even beyond that, they were supposed to love that animal and have spent time with that animal and cost him something whenever the animal is killed. Now, you got to get that in your mind. They're supposed to bring that which God has blessed them with. If they're wealthy, they're supposed to bring an ox or sheep. If they're poor, they could bring a dove. They're supposed to bring it with them. And carry it all the way in that point of inconvenience. Have any of you ever had to herd cows? Have you ever had to herd sheep or anything like that? Could you imagine taking a long journey and keeping them with you wherever you're going? It would be inconvenient, but God would be worth it. God would be worth it. I'll let you think about that a minute. He'd be worth it. And then they were supposed to have had a relationship with this animal so that whenever that animal dies, it's not like an animal that's out in the herd. It's an animal like it's your pet. Whenever pets die, people cry over pets as much as they do family members at times because they love that little pet, whatever it might be. It costs them emotionally. But now when Jesus walks into the temple, he finds that it's not costing him anything. It's all mechanical. For see, they come from a distance away, and when they come from a distance away, they don't bring anybody, anything with them. But rather they have it set up there at the temple where they can buy whatever sacrifice was to be offered. And some of them who should have been buying oxen and sheep felt like they were too high, so they'd just buy dove. Even though they were... Wealthy enough to buy the oxen and sheep. And instead of them going through that inconvenience of traveling, that, that slowed things down too much. We're not going to worry about bringing them with it. We're just going to buy them at the temple. And, and, when, and whenever it comes to really loving them and caring for them, we don't know. This is just one more animal, but this animal will do. You understand why it became mechanical? It cost them nothing. It cost them very little financially. It cost them very little emotionally. It cost them nothing. Cost them nothing. And that's the way they worshiped. And Jesus sees that. Driven in his heart, driven in his heart, he has a passion that his father would be worshipped, that God would be worshipped, that this place is a place of worship. It's a place of prayer. It's a place to meet with God. 
And Jesus runs them out of the temple and his disciples understand that the passion of Jesus as the passion of heaven is worship. It's worship. If you you don't ever get to the point where you understand the passion of heaven is worship, you're going to have a hard time fitting in when you get to heaven. Because that's what happens in heaven. Kevin said a few minutes ago, we'll sing that song, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You better learn those words. Because the passion of heaven is worship. And in Jesus' day, Jesus wanted them to understand. Listen, he wanted them to understand that in that temple, in that place of worship, in that temple, in that place of worship, it was all about God. What was done was not for them. It was for his Father. It's all about God. And it's okay. Well, that's what worship really is. It's all about Him. Well, you say, we don't live in the Old Testament. You're right. We don't live in the Old Testament. We live in the New Testament. Which means that now we don't go to a temple to worship, but we are the temple. We are the temple. The temple of God's worship. But I think sometimes we forget that we gather here and we walk daily in order to worship Him. In order to worship Him, for it's all about Him. I want you to see a little skit. might help us to be reminded. Destiny, how was the birthday party? I didn't like it at all. You didn't like it? Were any of your friends there? Yes, but they all paid attention to Emma. Well, it was Emma's birthday. How about the cake? I love cake. How was the cake? It was okay, but the cake was vanilla, and I didn't like vanilla. It was Emma's favorite flavor. Okay, what about balloons? I love to decorate. They have lots of decorations and balloons. They did, but... The balloons were purple, and Emma's name was written all over it. Okay, did y'all sing? I love when people sing happy birthday to me. Did they sing happy birthday? Yeah, they did. And Emma's name was in it. I mean... Well, Destiny, it was Emma's birthday. So today, we celebrated her. It was all about her today, not you. So, Julie, how was worship today? Mm, I didn't really like it today. And by the way, did you see what Rebecca had on today? I would have never worn that. Never. I can't believe she walked in like that. And the, the praise team, they were good. 
One Sunday, they're all slow songs. The next Sunday, they're all fast songs. And that one song we sang this morning, we said Jesus so many times in it. I mean, Jesus, I, I know that, but it was so many times. The sermon was good. You know, he preached a little long, and so we're going to have to stand in line today for struts because he did a little long today. But, you know, I just didn't enjoy it today because... I mean, he talks about Jesus every Sunday, the life and times of Jesus, but it's every Sunday about Jesus. Hey, Mom, remember yesterday at Emma's birthday party when you told me that it's not about me, it's about Emma, today's Emma's day. Isn't it kind of the same thing? Today's not about you, it's about Jesus. Mm hmm Thank you. Isn't it easy? Isn't it easy to fall into the trap and to think that church is about us? It's about me? Isn't it sometimes easy to complain about things we don't like at church as though it's about us? It's all about Him. And what Jesus revealed was that His passion and therefore our passion must be Pure priority of worship of God. That's what the kingdom of heaven is all about. Very quickly, I want to show you one other passion, one other thing he manifested. A few verses down, the, disciple, the uh, Pharisees and the Jews asked Jesus, this is in chapter 2, verse 18. It says, they asked him to show us a sign in verse 17. Show us a sign. And Jesus made this statement, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. Do you know at the very beginning of his ministry, he manifests his ultimate destiny. He manifests his ultimate destiny. Those Jews said, it took 46 years to build this temple. How could you raise it up in three days? But read the next verse. It says, and whenever his disciples went through the crucifixion and the resurrection. Then they came to understand at the very beginning, at the very beginning when he talked about the temple, he wasn't talking about the, earth, the earthly temple. He was talking about his body. And at the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus was letting it be known and manifest that he is going to die, and then three days later, he will be raised up. See, the plan of salvation was laid out in heaven. <laughs> Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was laid out in the portals of heaven. It wasn't something that Jesus fell into. It wasn't something that happened to him. It's something that was laid out in order for him to be the sacrificial lamb. At the very beginning, he's manifesting, letting you know, when we go through all of this, whenever we happen through all of this and this happens, it's going to happen because that's my ultimate destiny. Now, I want to challenge you. Read through John. <laughs> Mark those passages. What, what, what did he manifest? What did he show? What did he reveal about the kingdom of heaven and how the kingdom of heaven invades this world? his life and ultimately as we'll find out in our lives 
because he lives in us. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon dash series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.